In the Shadow of the Ratliff Hotel by Dean Peterson Chapter 3 The jeep was not liking the climb to the old mining town locals had identified as Ratliff. It whined and groaned up the gravel roads flanked with bullet-specked signs that warned of open mine shafts and open range and other myriad hazards left over by the last century. Jeff Grady almost felt a sense of nostalgia. He'd driven thousands of miles, peering out the window of a Humvee at other signposts, ones with skulls and crossbones, warning of other assorted dangers buried beneath the earth. Grinding up the mountain roads, he could almost taste the sweetness of half-melted MRE-born Reese's Pieces dissolving into a sweet brown spit in his mouth. Back in that place, he would jostle them between his teeth out of boredom during the endless drives. He almost heard Sergeant Carson's iPod playing the white stripes in the Humvee, just below the radio chatter and engine roar. It had been days like that he even asked, Why do they say it's so bad here? Then there was that one day. Actually, there were plenty of days before that, weeks and months that melted into each other in the sun, that negated any questions about why it was bad. However, his last day was the worst. The day when a wave of mud rose up like a tsunami off a canal in the desert and slammed against the bulletproof windshield like buckshot, and his eardrums exploded into a buzzing ringing like a swarm of jet engines, and he felt so much pain screaming from his lower body. His heart slammed in his chest and thudded in his ears as he struggled for breath in the stink of the smoke. He felt other bodies moving around him in the burning dark and heard screaming and shouting through the crackling buzz in his auditory canals. He snaked a bloody hand underneath the triangle of Kevlar over his groin and groped with relief to find all three of his favorite parts still firmly attached, not like the last guy who hit an IED. His hands raked down over his lower body, searching for something that didn't seem right in his screaming mind. He slammed back into his seat when his fumbling hand shot an electric shock of pain from below his knee and ripped the breath from his lungs. He struggled to breathe, coughing and gagging on the biting stink. Red, red, blood. His blood. It was coursing out of the hole ripped in the leg of his trousers and running towards his boot. His head swam a little in the metallic, familiar odor of it. He reached up to the blocky first aid kit strapped to his body armor and began to fumble it open with amped-up clumsy fingers. It hurt so bad, and in the black of burning rubber he sensed that he was now alone in the vehicle. He called out through dust-filled lungs to see if his buddy Private Wilson was behind him and heard nothing. The seat to his right where the new LT had replaced his buddy Sergeant Carson was vacant too. The tourniquet he fumbled for in the first aid kit had been dropped or was gone or was never there and everything started to feel heavy now. He felt his bloody hand slide up under his armor to pry his belt loose. But the thought of using that as a tourniquet was feeling far away and distant. He was only vaguely aware that his hands were trying to undo it. He realized he was going to die and the burning, darkening stench. He saw a familiar shape moving outside his window, throwing its heavily armored frame on the door latch trying to get it open, more screaming and yelling from outside of the Humvee. It was Sergeant Carson, slamming his body against the armored window and gesticulating wildly. Grady felt a glimmer of relief in the fading consciousness to see his buddy. He leaned over and wrapped his left hand around the combat locked door, but it wouldn't open. He felt the heat from the fire radiate through the rubber of his boots. Sergeant, he yelled, feeling his throat burn on the smoke. Carson pounded on the bulletproof glass with an angry fist and began to pantomime something, jerking his hand upward like he held an imaginary fishing pole. Grady felt angry and confused. It was even harder to move, and his connection to what was going on seemed to be slipping behind a slowly closing iris. He heard Carson yell again, muffled behind the glass, and then watched him slowly mouth the words, Pull. Up. The thought exploded through Grady's fading consciousness like a firework on a dark night. It was what he should have done forever ago, but had forgotten in his fear and disorientation. He leaned over again to the door lever, arched his back, gripped, 
and rocked the lever up. As almost all of Grady's awareness slipped and twisted away into one pinpoint of light, he heard the lock come undone with a metallic clunk. The door was flung open, flooding the cabin with light and smoke. Grady felt rough hands seize him and pull him away from the vehicle as he passed out amid the sound of their first sergeant yelling and the glint of brass and the din of an ambush. Grady heard his heart lub-dub in his chest. His hands were still on the steering wheel, but the jeep was stopped. A rolling bead of sweat cruised along the underside of a soft pallet and down his throat past the open V of his polo shirt. Carson finally looked around, blinking. No buildings. No desert that went on for eons. A tall stand of pines sprigged out of a mountainside in front of him. Long, mean, saw-toothed mountain ranges. Low green meadows that stretched up slopes to stands of tall, thin evergreens. He exhaled. Thankfully wasn't back there with the artillery and explosions and sand. Where he was looked a lot like that place in the Alps where they had taken all the cripples from Lanstuhl after he started to get better. He took a long, deep breath, attempting to inflate his lungs like a balloon, like they taught him to at the warrior transition unit. He didn't know how long he'd been stationary in the middle of that mountain road. The gas gauge needle hadn't sunk noticeably, though. The American flag sticker on his prosthetic leg stared up at him from the fancy metal where his shin should be. He told himself that if he was willing to wear shorts, then he was getting better. He looked in the rearview mirror and then drove on, trying not to get lost in his own memories again. Past the next ridge, a gravel road descended a steep dugway between a couple of shacks. The jeep cruised down it, and Grady looked into a narrow gulch lined with old-time buildings. It looked like a movie set. A wooden railing bisected the main drag through town, as if to prevent any cars from entering it. And there, parked nose into the railing, was a dust-covered Honda CRV. He studied the vehicle as he signaled to no one, and then parked next to it. It wasn't a rusted-out truck or Bronco like he'd expect to see in a place like this. It had the crisp factory pang of a soldier's car, bought after spending lots of days and nights collecting hostile fire pay without a bar or Best Buy or girlfriend to spend it on. Most of the vehicles soldiers bought were usually something powerful or macho. This was practical, an economical machine that had the tinge of the man he was looking for, the quiet, sensible one who had never quite fit in with the rest, but had been a friend and keeper and occasional Father Flanagan to a squad of lost boys. He got out of his vehicle and did a 360, taking in the jagged mountaintops that surrounded him on all sides. The high peak seemed to begin right out the back doors of the town, climbing straight up, leaving the ghost town in a narrow gulch. On one of the steep slopes, a long, rotting trestle trailed from a tiny building to a monstrosity of sun-bleached wood and rusted metal that all seemed to spill down the mountainside like a pyroclastic flow of man-made garbage. On the opposite side of the little ghost town, another monster perched on slate pilings, an evil-eyed gargoyle glaring down at him through dark black windows that halfway remained intact. It had fangs of broken boards and a rotting balcony that sloped to one side like a sneering lip. The old thing was a gaping inorganic eyesore that Mother Nature was doing its best to suck back down to the earth through oxidation and the slow pull of gravity. Grady looked back at the CRV. He'd only gotten a vague lead on where Sergeant Carson was from a platoon mate who had gotten a thumb drive of photos and videos from that deployment. Inside was a post-it note that read, Jacobs, here are most of my pics. I didn't really sort them out. I got a job up in the sticks taking pictures of an old ghost town. Tell the guys I say hi. It was signed John. It seemed wrong somehow, denuding him of the status he had reluctantly held, and now he was just John, like any other Joe. The package was postmarked, Lander, Wyoming. That was the end of Facebook or email or phone numbers for John Carson, the former Sergeant Carson. It didn't matter, though. Grady really needed to see him in person.
Grady had driven to the tiny town of Lander, Wyoming, and asked about a ghost town in the sticks. He showed everyone he talked to a picture of Sergeant Carson glaring next to a Humvee in the blinding Iraqi light. Everyone thanked Grady and vicariously Sergeant Carson for their service, and though no one remembered seeing him, everyone knew about a ghost town less than an hour into the mountains, and even confirmed that they're doing a whole bunch of work on that place soon, apparently turning it into some sort of tourist trap to help the local economy. Grady approached the back window of the Honda and wrote, Hey, in the dust with his finger, and then stepped over the wooden railing that separated the parking area from the actual town. He stared down what passed for its main street. The dry mountain air and eternal wind had nibbled and ground away at the paint on the facades, making everything gray and splintered. The structures on the main drag were clabbered businesses and false-fronted buildings. The intact windows stared back at Grady, like the black eyes of bugs. He had not anticipated this, and despite the chill in the air, he felt a drop of sweat roll down his spine. He cast his gaze from left to right, looking for Carson. There were rumors that Carson had failed out of college, or that he had completed it, but failed out of officer's candidate school. There were other stories, like the one about Carson having an affair with a female PA at the health clinic back in Vicenza, who was old enough to be some of their mom's age. One time, one of the privates had grabbed the notebook Carson had been writing in and read it aloud to the squad between missions. They were hoping it would be interesting, Maybe some type of love letter. Maybe to that PA. What they got was an essay about something called Dante's Inferno, full of very big words the privates couldn't pronounce properly. The reading became a group effort of bored soldiers who declared Carson too smart for this place. And eventually, they returned it to him anonymously. It was all fun and games until the violence came down, and that bespectacled NCO became something unrecognizable to most of them. A force they were thankful to have when it got bad, but couldn't relate to her when things were calm. Grady had been the last person Carson had been friends with. Grady bit his lip, not liking how quiet it was in this lonely place. There seemed to be an anticipatory silence in which even the insects and birds held their sound. Sometime after coming home, quiet had become Grady's enemy, a void in the world to be staved off by music and blaring TVs and even his own whistling or singing. It reminded him of things he didn't want to remember like that time in the endless heat of an Iraqi afternoon when he stared through exhausted eyes at a thin whisper tail of smoke trailing from a cigarette. It wafted lazily upward in a fine gray line through the thick, still air. At the time, it was probably the heat and lack of sleep, but for a moment, that curling whisper of smoke was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen, a hypnotizing serpent that curved and twisted up to some place far away he couldn't go. Then he heard the sound of incoming. An earth-ending bang that made the ground shake beneath his feet. It felt like it shook the very ventricles of his heart. Then, through the alienating haze of static-filled ears, the loneliness of combat, you'd hear the yelling and see the forms running amid the scattered fallen. Standing in the gravel of the road at Ratliff, he shook his head inside. The sound of his shoes crushing on the gravel beneath him, as if on crusty snow, seemed very loud in the silence, an intrusion in this noiseless place. He shot one glance back over his shoulder at the Honda, and the reassurance of his jeep. The bright sun was hitting the old panes of glass on the shacks and businesses as he walked past the old structures, hiding what was behind them like mirrored sunglasses. His own reflection began to bounce from window to window as he progressed down the road. He felt the familiar pinpricks, the well-used pathways of nervous jumpiness inside of him, and realized his pace had quickened without his permission. He fought the urge to run as he crunched over the gravel, hoping to get to the end of the street before one of those mirrored windows sprang out into a million jagged pieces and the whole world became one of rattling machine guns and exploding RPG and he was sucked back into the memories or maybe even some alternate reality of that awful place. 
He'd been told by the therapist at the VA to find something soothing when he felt the familiar fear come to him. A lullaby, a favorite song. She'd played Inya on her iPod and tried to guide them through meditation. Trying to lead a group of army guys through something like that was met with snickers and smirks as they tried to close their eyes and find a happy place. One perpetually angry staff sergeant with shrapnel scars on the left side of his face got up and left. Most of the wounded peered carefully around the room with one eye open during sessions, not wanting to close them with other people around. You had to stay ready. They nervously regarded one another in the semi-darkened room as the therapist cooed and whispered in low tones with both eyes closed. Sometimes they took the opportunity to oogle her as she sailed away to her own magic land that they would never, ever make it to. He closed on the last hundred yards of the street where the fringe of buildings petered out. Grady found himself softly humming Love Vigilantes by new order under his breath in a tone more high-pitched than he wanted to. It reminded him of something lost, a time of listening to the 80s at 8 on the radio in suburban Cleveland while he did his homework with his German shepherd at his feet. That urge to run was building through him, along with his rising pulse. However, he agreed with one thing the therapist had said. If you don't face it, at least some of the time, you won't get better. The glowering, blacked-out serpent eyes of the buildings surrounded him on all sides. It was like walking a narrow gauntlet of bullies between two banks of lockers as they leered at him, daring him to make eye contact and freeze up in their midst. He felt the slick of sweat crawl over his skin, but he was relieved when he cleared the last structures and saw only trees and snow-capped peaks on the edge of town. He took a deep breath and then turned around to look back at the potential killing floor he'd just traipsed over. I'll find him. I'll talk to him. And then I'm getting out of here. So that does it for this week. I hope you're enjoying In the Shadow of the Ratliff Hotel. If you can't wait for next week when we'll have the next chapter out, I have another audiobook called Anna Schutz that I started writing when I was stationed in Germany. It's about a suicidal private who starts to see the ghosts of people who were stationed on his base during World War II, including a white-clad phantom that he sees running through the woods and who he becomes obsessed with. He even tries to solve her murder. That one, like this story, is completely free. The link to it is down below. Again, it's called Anna Shoots if you want to check it out. Otherwise, I'll have another chapter of In the Shadow of the Ratliff Hotel to you, hopefully within about a week. Thanks.